Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.org. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. I imagine we've all had the experience of going to a popular eatery somewhere, and uh, when we got there, we find it's not convenient. In fact, it's packed. Uh, there's, there's a line. They want you to take a number, and it's not a small number. And uh, they will let you know when there's a place for you. There are places like that in town. Lubbock is a place that opens a new one up, and I think you've got to wait a year and a half before you try it because it's just packed to get there. Why would people wait? Why would people wait? Or is this just me? Why would people wait to get in? Because it's not the location. I'm telling you that. The parking's terrible, and, and, and it's, not the, it's not the ambiance. 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 It's, not, it's certainly not the price. It's certainly not the price. What is it? Well, it's the food, Jim. It's the food. It may not be anything out of the ordinary. It may not be escargot. I wouldn't eat that anyway. But it's probably just, you know, it's just, it's just meat and potatoes kind of thing that you get. Uh, maybe it's just, you know, enchiladas and, you know, and whatever it is. But, but that's where you go when you're hungry, and that's why... That's why people go. There's also a spiritual hunger in every human life that longs to be filled. Just as surely as there is a physical, physical hunger. If you're reading along with us in, in Psalms this summer, then on Thursday you read from Psalm 84. Here's what verse 2 says. My soul yearns even faints for. The courts of the Lord, that is the presence of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Not two, but four. It's this yearning desire, this hunger to be in God's presence. And that hunger is satisfied only in a relationship with the one true God, which is why we are on mission here at South Plains to lead others into a relationship with Jesus. People will often try to satisfy that hunger with other things, but ultimately when they get up from the table of a false god, they find themselves unfulfilled. The sage in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes wrote, chapter 3, verse 11, that God has placed eternity in the hearts of people. And only the Lord satisfies that craving that hunger for understanding our own time and the hope that we have of abundant, of an ongoing life, of eternal life. So back to where we've been in, in the Gospel of Luke this week, chapter 14. Jesus tells the parable that likens the kingdom of God to this extravagant banquet. And his family on earth of which he's the head, ought to be a place where people can come and find spiritual food, which is why we are who we are. It's not about the building. It's, it's not about the atmosphere. It's not about the location. It's about the food. The plain meat and potatoes, if you please, 
of God's Word and prayer that nourishes our inner spirit. So I want to take a look at this story that Jesus told. I want you to notice three things. First of all, the comparison that he makes. Now, in context, Jesus is at this big dinner, this big banquet at a Pharisee's house to which he had been invited and other people had been invited as well. Jesus had just taught them something about humility and then pointed to the resurrection, the resurrection. Things were getting kind of tense. You, you remember the story. Things were kind of... And, it, and maybe, maybe it was to change the subject or maybe it was to divert the conversation when somebody at the table said, yes, yes, what a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus picks up from that exclamation in verse 16 and replied with this story. A man prepared a great, nutritious, delicious feast and sent out many invitations. Often God's messengers compare spiritual truth to a nutritious meal. For instance, 800 years before this episode, the prophet Amos spoke to Jerusalem saying, The time is surely coming, says the Lord Almighty, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread and water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. A famine of hearing the words of the Lord. When spiritually hungry people go to a worship gathering and are not fed the words of the Lord, they walk away frustrated and instinctively look elsewhere to find spiritual sustenance. A church can change things. They can change their music. They can change their structure. They can change service times. But still people will stagger away hungry if they are not fed from God's Word. Jesus spoke of this as well in Matthew 4, verse 4, when he says, The Scriptures say people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He also said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Talking about spiritual hunger. Again, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot have eternal life in you. If you're if you are not consuming and being consumed by the Lord in His presence. Haven't you found it to be true that you've gone to church at some point in your life and you're spiritually down and maybe you come with a poor attitude and, and somehow during the gathering, during the assembly, your spirit is, is stirred up. Maybe it was a song, maybe it was a baptism or seeing the baptism of two twins or maybe a time of prayer that whetted your appetite and even the Word of God being taught caused your inner spirit to be strengthened. If so, God was nourishing you, feeding you from His Word, and you leave thinking, I'm so glad I came. I, didn't, I wasn't sure I wanted to come, but I feel so much better that I did. You have eaten the bread of life. That's what the apostle wrote about Peter. When he said, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Which, which makes us think about maybe some analogies, right? You know that it's a healthy sign to get hungry, right? 
A healthy person gets hungry on a regular basis. Uh, a person who loses his appetite for a prolonged period and can't taste anything has COVID. We've learned that recently, haven't we? It is a sign of illness, of not being, of having any hunger. And that's why Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. If you can go weeks without gathering for worship and being in God's word and it doesn't bother you, that should be a sign to you of spiritual illness. If you miss gathering and not feasting on scripture and realize, you know what, my week isn't going very well, I'm missing something, that's a sign of hell, of spiritual hunger. And appetites change with maturity. A baby craves milk. You can't feed a baby a steak. As a baby grows older, he wants, she wants baby food and then, and then more solid food, wants what you're eating, and then before long, they're crying out from the back seat for a happy meal. So appetites change as you grow. And there's spiritual milk, the apostle said, for infants, but slowly your appetite Appetite changes. Your appetite, what, what appealed to, to you 20 years ago, may now seem bland. What you couldn't swallow 20 years ago, you enjoy chewing on now. That's a sign of spiritual health. Paul reminded the Corinthians that when he came to talk to them, he couldn't talk to them as spiritual people. He said, I had to talk to you as you were, mere infants in Christ. The Hebrew writer said, someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what's right. It's also true that healthy people have different appetites. You may remember this from a a skit that Jeff Foxworthy did one time. He talked about his little daughter bringing him a peanut butter uh, sandwich that she had made on crackers. And uh, since she made it, Jeff said, I ate it and said, thank you. And she said, Daddy, do you know how I made it? He said, maybe. And she said, I took some peanuts and chewed them up and put them on the cracker (laughs) with some raisins. Would you like more? He said, honey, I am full as a tick. But I'm sure your mother might. Well, people have different tastes, you know. You you may like peanut butter with raisins. I don't know. Some people actually like asparagus, and some people uh, are are just vegetarians. People don't like meat. They crave fruits and vegetables. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. I actually agree with the sign that says, if God didn't intend animals to be eaten, why did he make them out of meat? I don't know. But, But mature people have different appetites. Some of you like different teachers and different subjects. And the truth is, we want to be healthy. We all need to eat a balanced diet. I found it interesting doing a little research. I mean, you can go back. It was much simpler 50 years ago. But in doing a little research, I have found that depending on where you look, there are four or five or six or maybe seven basic food groups. I'm not sure. Anyway. But here's what's constant through them all. They all teach you that it's important to eat a balanced diet, which means you need to eat something of everything. There are people who are one-issue people 
in church who crave one kind of teaching and want to get rid of everything else. But we all benefit from a balanced diet and should eat from all the food groups, even if we don't crave them. That's why, that's why we, we try to do different series. Uh, we spend maybe some time, as we are this year, in the book of Luke, uh, and just focus there, or maybe in a particular section of Scripture. That's why sometimes we teach out of the New Testament, and other times we teach out of the Old Testament, and sometimes we, we tackle topics. That's why in our classes we rotate teachers, different teachers around, because if, if you eat everything from the same cook all the time, you, you begin, well, everything begins to taste the same, doesn't it? And here's the last thing I'd mention to you, that when you become mature, you begin to realize something, and that is that, that you're not the only person at the table. Used to, when I'd go home, my mother would ask, so what do you want? What do you want to eat? And I, I, well, I, you know, I, you, Mom, you know what I like? I like okra gumbo. I like fried okra. I like fresh squash. I like purple hole peas. I like, I like a T-bone steak. I like, uh, I like some sausage, uh, maybe some blackberry cobbler or peach cobbler if you don't have blackberry, uh, a spoon of bluebell, you know, and some coffee. That'd be great. Why don't we just dismiss and go eat? I don't know. But I didn't ask for all that. Maybe several reasons. One is because I know I'm not going to be the only one at the table. I've got a brother and a dad and a wife and maybe, maybe a child or a grandchild there as well. And I didn't want my mother spending hours cooking over something we're going to eat up in minutes. I'm just really generous that way. But... But if I had my favorite spiritual meal, think about it. It would be songs I like, and it'd be prayer leaders that I like, and it would be teacher that I like, and a subject that I like. But as I think about it, I realize I'm part of a family here, a church family, and I have to consider that, that I'm not the only one here. It's not all about me. There are others who who might want to gag on what I like, and, and others who need some different kinds of food. And yet when I look around and I see people fed and fulfilled, and I'm, I'm just as happy as my mother's happy when her family is fulfilled. I'm happy when you're happy. Because our gatherings ought to be delicious and joyful times together of taking in spiritual nourishment and enjoying one another. Well, here's the second thing to notice in this story. In verse 17, Jesus said, When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guest, Come, the banquet is ready. Now, even though this person had prepared this elaborate banquet, some of his friends are going to make last-minute cancellations. This may seem strange to you, but, but it is the way that... Uh, it went in the first centuries. Invitations were sent out in two stages. First was announcing the upcoming banquet. Maybe think of like a hold the date card. You know, here's when it's going to happen. 
And people were given a, a chance to RSVP, to, to respond with their intentions, because the host had to know how many people are going to be there, know how many uh, animals are going to have to be butchered, know how much food to prepare. It was really more complicated than, than, than today. You couldn't just run down to Sam's or United or Costco or somewhere and, and just grab something. You had to prepare for it. And then the second stage would be announcing the meal's ready. It's kind of the dinner bell kind of thing. A servant was sent out to tell everybody, the meal is prepared, they should come on, the table is being set. And the guests who agreed to participate would come. The host expected them to be there. They would be missed if they weren't there. Food had been prepared for them. However, in this story, instead of the invited guests eagerly coming to the feast, the guests insulted the host by making last-minute cancellations using feeble excuses. Remember in the context, this is Israel who had been looking for and invited to the, the, the crowning of the Messiah, the coming and, 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 uh, of the Messiah. But they had not been listening to God's messenger and began to give excuse. The first is a business excuse. I just bought a field and I, I've got to inspect it. It's not that he bought something sight unseen and he had to go look at it now. It was the fact this was a real estate deal and, and he was busy developing the plot, this plot of land that he had bought and he just couldn't, he just couldn't, couldn't come. It should make us realize we, ha- we have, as God's family, we have a standing invitation in God's family to come to his table, the Lord's Supper. And it, we should be cautious of excusing ourselves from it. You know, I'm just really busy right now. You know, I'm, I'm in college, and I'm studying a lot, or I got this job, and, or it's just, you know, it's just business is really hot right now, and, and uh, I'm out of town a lot. Please, please excuse me. We ought to be cautious of that because we end up missing out on meaningful relationships in God's family as well as our own spiritual growth and, and what brings joy. The second excuse in verse 19 is a pleasure excuse. I've just bought five pair of oxen, and I want to try them out. Now, I don't know what you thought. Maybe this guy's a farmer. I don't know if that's true. He's got a new tractor, maybe. Whatever it is, it's something new. You ever get you, you, this idea, you get something new, or maybe it's new to you. Maybe you know, a, a car, it may be, it may be a, a house, could be a boat, maybe a motorcycle. Maybe, maybe it's your computer. Maybe it's a new phone. Something and you can't wait to see how it works. This guy bought 10 oxen, and he couldn't wait to see you know, how fast they were. <laughs> he couldn't wait to see if you pulled them all together, what could they pull? We face, we face some pretty fierce competition from the world. I was mentioning this earlier this morning to someone that at the flip of a switch... We realize that. I mean, growing up, it used to be broadcast TV. The wonderful world of Disney came on at 6 p.m. on every Sunday night. Well, who planned church at 6 p.m.? Uh, now we got Netflix or the Disney Channel or, or YouTube or whatever is the latest thing. As you can, at a flip of a switch, there seems to be constant 
action. We got apps on our phone and, and games on our phone and, and people always clamoring for our attention. And, you know, the, the only thing that's, that's untenable is being bored. One dad told a story of driving cross-country to see the Grand Canyon for the first time. And when they finally got there, dad gathered everybody out to look at the wonderful, breathtaking scenery. They were just soaking it up for a minute. And when dad turned around to share it with his nine-year-old son, he realized his son was back in the car on his computer game. We're always so looking for excitement that we miss the significance. And our temptation is to try to compete with that. We try to do here what is excellent. We try certainly to ca- capture people's attention. We cannot and we don't try to compete with the world. Following Jesus may not be the most exciting thing all the time. But it is definitely the most fulfilling thing in life. Jesus himself will say, if anyone come after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's nothing exciting about working for an hour to get three kids ready to come to church. But you do it. Nothing dramatic about getting up 15 minutes early every day to fill your mind and heart with scripture and and prayer with your father. There's nothing spectacular about living within your means, about paying your bills on time, about going, getting to work on time, or being faithful to your mate, not nearly as exciting as the party life that is so often held before us, but it is much, much better. The final excuse offered was the family excuse. Verse 20, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, maybe this is an excuse that all of us understand. It's kind of like the sign at the paint store that said, Husbands choosing colors must have a signed note from their wife. (laughs) It shouldn't be, but often marriage can be a barrier to participation in God's family. Some of us may have limited involvement in God's family because our mate doesn't follow Jesus. One's spiritual development can be somewhat limited because of their marriage, which is why it is so important. So important that you marry somebody who shares your faith and and your love for the Lord. It's a wonderful thing when people can share together in the Lord's meal together and grow together in the Lord for years. At one couple's 65th wedding anniversary celebration, the husband kept referring to his wife as as sweetie, as darling, as honey. And his grandson came up and he said, Grandpa, I just love it when you refer to Grandma with pet names. And the old man winked at him and said, can't remember her name. Marriage ought to be an experience where we grow together in the Lord as well as growing together physically and emotionally. 
But for some, it's just the opposite. Well, notice the third thing in the story. The third thing is the assignment given. Those shallow excuses infuriated the host of the banquet, and so he gave his servants this new assignment. Go out and invite others who were hungry. Verse 21, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, There's still more rooms. So his master said, Then go out into the country lanes and look behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come. For none of those I first invited would get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Well, we are God's servants. And we are challenged to invite others into God's kingdom. Even though there will be some who offer shallow excuses, we, we are told to keep inviting, keep looking, because the Lord doesn't want any to perish, but all to come. As school picks up over the next few weeks, it's coming. I hope every seat in this room bugs you, every empty seat. It should be our goal to fill the seats by inviting people that God is inviting to his feast. Urge everyone, anyone you find to come. How? By loving them, by being authentic in their lives, by speaking of the hope that we share in Jesus Christ, by kindly making invitations. Now, I did hear one guy who said to a friend of his, hey, let me ask you a favor. I want you to come to church with me on Sunday, he said, and, and, if, and if you don't like it, I'll buy you a steak dinner, which, of course, Later, there was a call to the preacher who said, this better be good this week. <laughs> we ought to be nice, but we ought to be urging. We ought to be inviting people that we come in contact with to come and get to know the Lord Jesus, the head of God's family. People are hungry for something more than this world. And we need to be a family that continues to urge people from every nook and cranny to come join us that they might find the hope, healing, and redemption that we have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our assignment is to urge hungry people to come and feast and then someday to sit at the marriage feast of the Lamb. Until that day, we come to the table of grace where the plate is always full and everyone is welcome. As we share in the Lord's meal this morning, the urge is for you to come to the table of mercy. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.org. 
where you can find all sorts of information, including how to contact us and how to request prayer. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.